Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this time in our study of the covenants of God with his people, we are going to begin to look at the book of Hebrews. This book was written to Christian Jews who were faltering in their faith and thinking at least about returning to Judaism. The whole argument of the book, therefore, is that what they have in Christ is better than what they had in Judaism, and that returning to Judaism would be unbelief and apostasy. There are several sharp warnings against such unbelief and apostasy in the book. Now, the book achieves its purpose, then, by comparison of the Old Covenant, uh, the, especially the covenant of God with his people at Sinai, and the New Covenant. And in a sense, therefore, the whole book is about God's covenants. But there are certain chapters in the book which actually mention that word and which talk about this in some detail. This begins already in chapter 7, verse 22, which we'll be looking at today. It continues in great detail in chapter 8, verses 6 to 10, and even following. We find some also in chapter 9, uh, verses 1, 4, 15, 16, and 20, and then occasional references in chapters 10, 12, and 13. This time, therefore, we're going to be looking at chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 is the chapter about Melchizedek and about Christ being the priest after the order of Melchizedek. There is a comparison in the chapter between the order of Melchizedek and the priestly order of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. And the apostle begins by uh, arguing that Melchizedek was a greater priest than the Levitical high priest. He was, first of all, a priest of the Most High God, just as, of course, the other uh, the Levitical priests were priests of God. But he was also king of righteousness, that's the meaning of his name, and king of peace, which is the translation of Salem, or Jerusalem, he therefore combined in his person the two offices of priest and king, which was not allowed in the Mosaic Covenant. Those two offices were rigidly separated, and when Uzziah, the king of Judah, attempted to transgress on the office of the priesthood, God struck him with leprosy as judgment for his sin. The text also says that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, and a priest forever. Now this pertains, it seems, especially to his priesthood, not to his person, but to his priesthood. His father and mother were not from a priestly line. He had no priests in his genealogy. As a priest, he had no beginning of days. That is, there was not a time in the scriptures where it was he was anointed to be a priest or when it was shown that he came from a family of priests which would justify his, his priesthood. Nor is there any description of his priesthood coming to an end. 
And uh, this priest then uh, was a priest greater than the priests who came from Levi's house. But this he gets at by, first of all, by saying that it's obvious from the scriptural account that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Abraham had received the promises of God. God had made his covenant with Abraham and had given him these exceedingly uh, rich and precious promises. And Abraham was a priest also in his own house. You find him at various uh, places in the accounts in Genesis, offering sacrifices for his household and building altars. Nevertheless, Abraham was not as great a priest as uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, not vice versa. That's what you read in verses 6 and 7. He whose genealogy is not derived from them, that is from the tribe of Levi, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. And in verse 8 then, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. But the passage then also argues that he was a priest greater than the priests from Levi, because even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So the priesthood of Levi was a, a priesthood inferior to the priesthood of Melchizedek. But you see then two things about this whole idea of the covenant in those first verses. First of all, Melchizedek was a priest in the context of the Abrahamic covenant. God had made his promises to Abraham. God had blessed him. And yet Abraham, as the heir of the promises of God, still was uh, paying tithes to and being blessed by one greater than himself. But the second thing we need to see is that with the Mosaic Covenant, the people of Israel took, as it were, a step backwards to a lesser priesthood. Their priesthood did not measure up to the priesthood of Melchizedek. It was not as great a priesthood as the priesthood of Melchizedek. And this is undoubtedly due to the fact that this priesthood came in the context of the law which is a subject that we will come back to as we continue our study in this chapter. The next part of the chapter, beginning with verse 11, then uh, points out that perfection was not through the Levitical priesthood. That is, the perfection of the covenant, the perfection of blessing, the perfection of salvation, the perfection of fellowship with God, none of these things came through the Levitical priesthood. The people received the law um, uh, in connection with that Levitical priesthood, but that priesthood was not as great, not great enough, that is, to bring in the perfection of the things that God had promised to Abraham and the things that God depicted in the ceremonies of the law. 
Perfection, therefore, for the Jews today, too, does not come through the Levitical priesthood, through the ceremonies that that priesthood performed, through the tabernacle or the temple, or through any of those things that belonged to God's covenant with his people on Mount Sinai. There is no perfection that can come through that priesthood. The perfection has to come through the priesthood that is after the order of Melchizedek. There is a need, the apostle says, for another priest, a priest different from the Levitical priests, a priest who comes from the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? There has been, therefore, in the New Testament period, a change of the law. The law of God given at Mount Sinai designated Levi as the tribe of the priests and appointed the house of Aaron within that tribe of Levi to uh, make up the order of the priests that served in the temple. That law, Hebrews 7 says, had to be changed. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. He's talking about Christ, of course. He belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. There was no one ever from the tribe of Judah, the tribe from which our Lord Jesus Christ arose, who served at the altar. The law, therefore, uh, regarding the the tribe of Levi being priests has been specifically annulled. There are no more priests from that tribe and can be no more priests from that tribe. That uh, whole arrangement that God established in the law has been abrogated by this com- the coming of this new priesthood. But that's a good thing, is the argument, because... As the Apostle goes on to say in verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, this uh, commandment regarding Levi as the priest was uh, annulled because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. He repeats that again. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So the priesthood now comes from the tribe of Judah. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident If, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So this change of law was affected not by the giving of a new law when the old law was abrogated, 
But this change of law was affected by the oath of God to Christ. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> he has come according to the power of an endless life, for he testifies you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is a quotation from Psalm 110. And in that psalm, of course, God is talking about Christ as king, as the Lord, who rules all nations, who governs them, and who destroys the enemies of God, who slaughters kings uh, in the uh, work of judgment that God brings on the world. But in the middle of that psalm, you have this oath of God to Christ. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That oath of God, the apostle says here, abrogated that old law, the law of the fleshly commandment that made Levi priesthood, a priest. This new law then brings in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now it's important to notice in that connection that the tribe of Levi and the uh, Levitical priesthood also was intended to bring the people near to God. The house of God was where they served. That was where God lived. And that tribe of Levi served in that house on behalf of the people of God. They, their purpose then was to bring the people as near to God as possible in the Old Testament. But that bringing near was not very near. And it was not very near because, as you know, there was a veil that hid the most holy place, the throne room of God, from his people. No one of his people could go there. They could not even go into the holy place. Their presence there was only symbolized by the table of showbread and the uh, golden candlestick and the altar of incense. The priests went there on their behalf. The people were allowed only into the courtyard. God held them, as it were, at arm's length, and he held them at arm's length because of the weakness and unprofitableness of that law of a fleshly commandment, that law that made men from the tribe of Levi priests. But now we have a new priest. We have Jesus, who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And having him as our priest, we have a surety of a better covenant. Verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. This covenant is better, not because it is a completely different covenant. It's the fulfillment of that old covenant. It's not better in the sense that it had a different purpose than that old covenant. Always the purpose of the covenants was to bring God's people near to him. This covenant is better then because it brings us nearer to God than the old covenant could. The old covenant was made a reality to the people of God by the shedding of the ceremonial blood of atonement, the animal sacrifices that were offered. 
But this covenant is made a reality through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a high priest who has offered better sacrifices. The blood of atonement which he has shed is the real blood of atonement, not any longer a shadow of that blood. The house into which he brings us is the heavenly house rather than the earthly house. It's the house built by God rather than men. And we, because of this work of our high priest, are allowed to come into the Holy of Holies itself through Jesus Christ, our forerunner into that place, and our high priest who has ascended into heaven before us. Jesus is the surety, therefore, of that covenant, the one who guarantees the effectiveness of that covenant, the one who guarantees to all who are his their full participation in that covenant, their receiving of all the blessings that he himself has received in his ascension into the heavenly sanctuary. Now there is another weakness of this old priesthood then that is the apostle talks about in verses 23 and following. One of the other weaknesses of that priesthood was that there were many priests because death prevented those priests from continuing in their office. But Jesus, though he died, rose again and continues now forever as our priest. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, and note how wonderful is the promise of this new covenant then, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost, to the last bit of everything that is necessary for our salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He was a priest not only, therefore, in offering himself as the sacrifice for our sins, but he is also the priest in that he sits now at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. As the Levitical priesthood made intercession for the people at the altar of incense, offered their prayers up to God through that incense, so our Lord Jesus Christ, who is now in the heavenly sanctuary, sitting at the right hand of God, makes intercession for us. And it is by this intercession that we receive the fullness of our salvation, all that is in him. There are further glories of this great priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, described for us then in verses 26 and following. He is a holy priest who is therefore fitting for us. He has become higher than the heavens, and he had to offer only one bloody sacrifice. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He was fitting for us because he was able to do what the old priesthood 
could not do, could do, if you will, only in the cerem- in a ceremonial way. But he can do it in reality. He can bring us into the heavenly sanctuary. He is holy and therefore has no need to offer sacrifices for himself as the old priesthood did. He is the undefiled, the perfect, the spotless Lamb of God who offers himself for our sins. And he does that once and once only. He did not need, does not need to repeat his offering ever again because his offering was effective for all the sins of all his people from the beginning of the world to its end. And so this is all summed up for us then in verse 28. The law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, that oath which God spoke in Psalm 110, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. This is the glory of the new covenant, that we have a high priest who could offer one perfect sacrifice for all our sins, who, could make inter- who can make intercession for us to save us to the uttermost so that we may come into the Holy of Holies, so that we may be brought as near to God as it is possible for us to be into his very presence, to his very throne, the throne of grace itself. Let us therefore have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, there to offer our prayers and thanksgivings to the God of our salvation. May God bless you with his word.